Well, over the next nine weeks, we're going to be going on a journey of sorts, a theological journey. We're going to be going through the Apostles' Creed line by line, and we're going to understand, hopefully by the end of that nine weeks, who God is, how He has revealed Himself to us, why He has revealed Himself to us, and who we are. You know, the Bible starts with an assumption. It starts with the assumption that there is a God, but it also starts with the assumption that we're sinners, and as a result of that sin, we're not able to see God clearly. Our eyes are not spiritual. Our communion is shattered and broken. And so we're left grasping, trying to understand who He is. And the creed gives us a basic summation of who we are. But tonight, before we can get to the creed, I think we need to kind of set the table. Because the creed, and our worship this evening, and our worship on Sunday mornings, all assume one thing that not all people necessarily assume. And that is that God exists. Sometimes we come to church, come to Sunday school, we do the very religious things, but I wonder if we ever ask ourselves why. Do we ever get to the why and say, why do I believe all this stuff? Can we actually get to the creed? Can the Bible actually mean anything to us unless we at least get to a base understanding that God does actually exist? And there is a lot of, I guess, competition. There is a lot of uh, agnosticism and atheism in our culture that calls on us to have a very basic answer, or at least a very basic understanding of who God is, so that we can move forward in our faith, so that we're not living in a sort of Christian atheism, as Craig Groeschel, an author, recently referred to it. There is a sickness, I believe, that lives in the church right now. It's that people come to church and confess with their lips certain things of the faith, but I believe that we live as practical agnostics. We confess God, but do we really believe it? That's what this sermon series is supposed to get at. It's not just a number of abstract truths that we come and talk about. What we want to do is actually make it a living reality in our lives. Something that gets beyond the surface, beyond the things we just say, and gets inside of us in a very real way and compels us to live in a holy manner. There is hostility to the idea of God. And that hostility has perhaps been presented no more clearly and no more fully than over the last several years. There is a movement afoot called New Atheism. Some very formidable minds coming forward saying that they don't believe in God. That all this stuff we do, the creeds we confess, the ideas we think we know about, it's silliness. I'll read you a few quotes and tell me, If you've heard things like this, Robert Persig, when one person suffers from a delusion, it is called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it is called religion. Are we just delusional? Are we just coming and just, you know, there's this big fairy tale thing in the sky that uh, we come and we worship, but there's nothing there? Is it just mass delusion? Or is there actually something to this? For many years ago, Seneca the Younger, religion is regarded by the common people as true. 
by the wise people as false, and by the rulers as useful. Are we just being used by rulers, used by clergy, in order for a power structure to continue to exist? Is there any truth behind what we're doing, or is it just a device to manipulate people? Are really smart people, you know, the ones, the scientists and all those people at the universities, are all of those people the ones, are all of those people, first of all, denying God? No, they aren't. But are all those people the wise ones and everybody else the stupid ones? Are all those people who are denying God the ones who have it figured out? Or are we also, do we also have a claim to an intellectual position, an intellectual philosophical claim to who God is and how reality actually is? And then Christopher Hitchens, what can be asserted without proof can be dismissed without proof. Is there no proof? Are we just hinging all of this on a hope and a prayer and maybe it's true, maybe it isn't? Well, I'm going to offer to you tonight that believing in God, and I'm not even getting at the Christian God yet. I'm going to offer to you tonight that believing in a force or something that exists outside time and space is more philosophically consistent than to not believe in it. I'm also going to offer tonight that it's more scientifically consistent to believe in something or a force that exists outside time and space. Here's what I'm not going to do, and I want you to understand this clearly. I am not going to pit God and science against each other, because I don't believe they are pitted against each other. I believe they're actually conducive to one another. But before we get to that point... I want us to consider this. Does it make any sense at all for us to even believe there's a God? Philosophically. I'm going to say yes. And there are two reasons that I say yes. The first reason is this. Cause. Cause. Think of one thing. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to try to think of one thing that you have ever observed that has ever caused itself. So I'm giving you 30 seconds. Something that has caused itself. Okay. I don't know if that was 30 seconds, but it was close enough. Any hands? Did anybody think of anything? Anything that has ever caused itself? Yeah, Susan. Okay, the moon and the stars. Okay, or a box turtle. Okay, so they don't actually, yeah, okay. Um, all right, other examples, anybody? I'm going to offer to you that there's nothing in the universe that doesn't have a previous something to it in order to get to that thing. So looking at the moon or the stars or even the box turtle, there's something that led to the creation of that moon or those stars or that box turtle. Now let's take this back. However many years ago you want to go, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it was 7,000 years ago. I don't care if it was billions of years ago. Let's take this clear back. What caused the first whatever? 
So you got nothing, right? Everybody agrees that at some point there was nothing. That nothing existed. There was no material. There was nothing causing anything. There were no processes. There was no time and space. What brought that into being? Something. So I want to ask you now, is it logically inconsistent to believe that there has to be something outside time and space in order to create that first thing in time and space? To set that mechanism off? Yeah. And it's scientifically consistent too. Let me ask you something. If you want to create, if you want to see, what is a molecule? It's two atoms that come together and conjoin, right? If you don't have those two atoms, how do you get to the molecule? You don't. And what about what comes before the atoms and everything else? You don't have it. If you don't have those building blocks, if you don't have the prior thing, you can't get to the most basic thing. And so my argument, not my argument, actually, there are a lot of more brilliant minds that constructed this argument before I ever did. It's called the cosmological argument. And it is, to me, the most obvious argument and the most solid argument for faith in general that there can possibly be. If you don't have something before time and space, how do you get time and space? If you don't get something before let there be light or something before Big Bang, how do you get there? You don't. And I've never been able to find a way around that. And I haven't found any scientists that actually can get around that. There are a lot of theories that science, different scientists have worked on. But I think the most ethical scientists have admitted they haven't been able to get out of it outside something that exists outside time and space. So that's the first thing. Everything has to have a cause. Everything we observe in the world has a cause. And so to say that there was something that created all this without cause, without first principle, without that something outside time and space is less philosophically, scientifically, and observably consistent than to say there's something that is. Now, I've read some Dawkins, and I've read some Hawking, and they're brilliant people, but they never get at that. They can't get around the fact that you don't create nothing, create something out of nothing, unless there was something. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Meaning. We started with cause. Everything has to have a cause. Second thing is this. Where do we get meaning from? Does material, in and of itself, carry with it meaning? Does a molecule have meaning? Kind of. A molecule has meaning because we recognize its meaning. A molecule has meaning because we're able to look at it and say, this is what a molecule does. But does a molecule have consciousness? If it comes alive, if it becomes a human being, I guess. Good, Sean. Meaning can only come if you're conscious. There is no meaning apart from consciousness. And we have to ask ourselves this. Why do we share so many similar meanings with all the world? Why do we recognize almost universally that it's better to help a person than to kill a person? Why do we, where does that come from? 
Is it just protectionism? I don't think so. Where does the meaning come from in music? Why do we hear one thing and think it sounds beautiful and hear another thing and think that it sounds awkward or horrible? A jackhammer. It's just emitting sound through the air, vibrations through the air. But a sonata is just emitting vibrations through the air as well. Where does that come from? Why are we able to make sense of that? Why are we able to say that a jackhammer in one context is good, but in another context, like if I'm preaching, is not so good? Why are we able to say that a sonata is good in one context, but if I'm watching a football game, maybe it's not so good? Where do these observations come from? How do we get at that? Where does consciousness come from? Where does meaning of any kind come from? How do you explain that only through material processes? You don't. Because material is just a means to the meaning. Material just provides form so that we can begin to understand the world around us. Material can't give us meaning. Well, if material can't give us meaning, and we can't just self-generate meaning, but we see that universally the whole world assigns lots of different meanings in a universal way, why is that? Where does it come from? Why do we know that we shouldn't kill people? Yeah. The only thing I've been able to get at that makes any sense to me is that there is a universal consciousness in some way or some form or variety. The only reason I can figure out that it's not good to kill people is that there is a law, a natural law that just exists that comes from the original source that says we shouldn't kill people, that it's better to help our neighbor than to kill our neighbor. And so those are the two things, the two reasons that I believe Christianity Well, I should say, not even at this point Christianity, but faith in general are philosophically consistent. This is why I don't back down when I face a new atheist like a Hitchens or a Dawkins, because they can't get at either one of these two things. Now, does this prove the Christian God, the Christian understanding of God? No. It doesn't even necessarily prove a God that has consciousness. It doesn't prove anything in regards to who we say God is yet. But it does give us an understanding that there has to be something outside of here in order for any of this to begin to make sense. And that's why we go back to Paul today. For what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to him. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. Without coming across condescending, and I hope it doesn't seem condescending, I think evidence for a creator is the most obvious thing in the world. All you need to do is look at the world around you and see how it has been carefully constructed and designed, to see how things just work together And if you ask yourself, where did it all come from? And you have in the back of your mind that idea, it had to start at some point. 
it just makes sense to me that there's something out there. So slice it any way you want. Nothing creates itself. But this doesn't get at the Christian God. Not yet, anyway. This is just a start. But I do think it allows us to segue to the Christian God. Assuming there is a something out there. Something other than what we experience in time and space. Is it logical to believe that that something would want to communicate with its creation? Is it logical to think God is there and he loved us enough that something is there that loved us enough in order to create, to design, and then it simply decided, I want to communicate with these folks and let them know who I am. I'd say that's pretty logical. Now, can I prove that? No. And that is faith. I believe it because I think it makes sense. But can we prove that? No. So if Dawkins and Hitchens and all those guys are looking for a hard proof that the person who created or the thing that created all this would want to communicate with us, I don't think that can be provided. But I think it's more consistent with what we see than what they offer. And I do think that when it comes down to human nature and explaining how the world works, who we are, what we experience as human beings, as fallen human beings, and what we see about our own nature and that nature being reflected in God, I think it makes a whole lot more sense than any other game in town. And I've said that time and again in classes at school. I believe that when you take Christianity and you apply it to any philosophical worldview or compare it to any philosophical worldview, I think it makes the most sense of anything you're ever going to come across. I think when you look at sin, at our brokenness, at our desire to do things that we know are ethically wrong, Christianity gives a good reason for that. I think when you look at our desire to be sacrificial and we recognize the goodness of being sacrificial, Christianity has an answer for that. Other philosophical systems do not. There is no other philosophical system where the God that loves its world so much is willing to die for that world. That's anathema in every other world construction. But why do we have it on our hearts? Why do we have it in our very fiber that sacrifice for others is a good thing? I believe it's for this reason. I believe that the entire cosmos is shaped like a cross. And I believe it's shaped that way because God made it that way. And I believe that he communicated his way into our hearts and into our lives so that when we see sacrifice, when we recognize sin, we're seeing the world and our experiences through his perspective rather than our own. But it's not something... The specifics aren't something that we just pick up on. I can't look at a tree and figure out who God is or anything else in the created order. And so Jesus gives us an answer for how this works. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. We're sinners. We're created. We're creatures. We're not the creator. And as a result of that, we don't see clearly unless it's revealed to us. God had to decide to communicate with us in order for us to understand who he is. And he has done that. And as a church, we confess that he has expressed that in very explicit ways. And that is what the creed is good for. It takes us from a world of having general ideas of what God might be like by looking at the world around us and trying to make guesses to saying God has come into time and space and communicated himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we know who he is. Now, the early church had a problem. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have New Testaments or Old Testaments to take home. What they had were scrolls. And those scrolls would be written and then they would be read in the temple or in the church. But you didn't have a New Testament to turn to if you needed an answer for the Bible. So what's the easiest way to get the faith into people in very generic, very basic form? A statement of faith. A very simple statement of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and so on and so forth. When we look at the creed, we're not just looking at words. We're not just looking at stuff the church made up. We're looking at something that the church gave to us as a gift so that we could hide, hide the message of, our, of the gospel in our hearts in a very succinct way. And over the next several weeks, for the following weeks, we're going to be breaking it down line by line so we can see the fullness of the way God has broken that down. If you can confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, you've already opened up a whole world of theology that you can explore with another person. But if you don't even know something that simple, how do you move your conversation forward? How do you share your faith? You know, if I've got the creed in my heart, then I can look for pretty much anything I want in the scriptures. But if I don't have a basic summation of the faith, if I can't tell you basically what the faith is, then I really can't share the gospel with you. And so next week we move into the realities rather than the philosophies. And that first reality is going to be, I believe in God the Father maker of heaven and earth. And I hope that you'll continue to join in this journey because I think it's going to be a pretty awesome journey. And you're going to maybe see your faith in ways that you haven't seen it before. You're going to see the awesomeness of the Father. You're going to see what did it mean for Jesus not just to come down to earth, but to eternally pre-exist with God, the Father. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to come down? What does it mean to be a universal church rather than just a local church? What does it mean that we believe in the resurrection of the dead on the last day? What it means is 
the church loved us enough and God loved us enough not to just leave us guessing. Yeah, I think philosophy can do some pretty heavy lifting on some things, but ultimately philosophy can't get at this. If there is a God that exists, and I believe that he does, then we need to know who he is. And in order for us to know who he is, he has to tell us who he is. So over the next several weeks, we're going to go through that. I look forward to taking that journey with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us amazing minds to help sort through some of the difficulties of the faith. And Lord, while we know that academic philosophy and trying to understand things in that way can't account for who you are, we do know this. We have nothing to fear, not by philosophy, not by science, not by any of the sciences, not by any of the academic disciplines. And so, Lord, as we take that knowledge, I ask that you would help us to glorify you over the coming weeks. Help us to see you more clearly. To see you not just as an idea, not as Christian atheists, but as people who see you in fullness and begin to be transformed by the truths of the faith as expressed through the creed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.